You know, call making for me has always been about the ducks. Now, it's about the ducks, honker specs, and our culture. To me, the culture of waterfowl hunting is about our shared values, respect, beliefs, traditions, knowledge, and it's that underlying sense of connection that all waterfowlers share. This is the Ducklander Podcast, and I'm Bobby Hayes. What's up, everyone? This is the Ducklander Podcast, and I am on tonight with a buddy from up north, Mr. Hardy. How are you, sir? Doing good, Bob. Doing good, Bob. How are things, uh, how are things down south? Hotter than hell. That's how things are down <laughs> south. Yeah. But, <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, uh, I, it's one of those things, it's uh, tis the season, but when uh, some of the weather forecasts that I've been seeing for down that way, it looks like it's... Looks like it's pretty toasty. So I've got a screenshot of 123, which I threw up on my story this week because that I I, I don't know if I've ever seen an actual well 123. It's heat index, but and then Onyx yeah. Maps had a 131 on the heat index. So I don't know how accurate <laughs> Onyx weather is, but it's freaking hot. That's so, that's hot. Yeah, I, I will hot. I won't I won't complain. Uh, that's uh, I won't complain anymore because 70 with high humidity I, I complain, but 130 I would just. I would just collapse somewhere, find me on the sidewalk. The the birds aren't even outside right now. (laughs) There's, yeah, Yeah. there's no birds out until morning and afternoon, and that's the only time you'll see the birds. Yeah, it's ridiculous. (laughs) Yeah, they are just in the shade in the trees. That's the only thing they're doing. Uh, The squirrels are not running around my walnut grove during the day. Yeah, it's hot. Well, I will uh, say the only thing only thing with heat that's good is. It just makes you look forward to the cold temps, cold fronts even more. And when that first one comes, we're good. I am we're so safe. glad Rogers was not. Uh, this wasn't during Rogers. Oh, yeah. it'd be terrible. Oh, <laughs> oh man, I'm telling you. Yeah. So. Yeah, it'd be uh, bad. So. So tonight we are going to go over how. Brennan likes to hunt. Same thing I did with TC on the podcast a while back. And basically, when we get to the end of these, we'll find all the similarities between everybody. So for those of you that don't know Brennan, he is a killer. I would say he mostly hunts geese, but I know he kills ducks too. But I think that's more during opportunity. I think he actually chases the goose. Is that accurate? Yep. Yep. I would say it's accurate. It's uh, I'm a... I'm a goose hunter, and when I get an opportunity to get on a good duck shoot, I won't I won't pass it up. But if somebody were to put two options in front of me, I'm a goose hunter. So that's my my pride and joy. And only way I can really explain it is just like there's something about a big old B-52 coming in doing it good, and I don't know. It's been that way ever since I've hunted them. So, so, so. He lives almost to Canada. So when we go over these, TC was from uh, from Oklahoma, so that's all little geese. So the next, so this is the complete opposite of that. <laughs> um, yep. What's your average size goose up there? Um, well, tell everybody I'd, where you're from. So yeah. I'm from I'm 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 pretty close to Devil's Lake. A lot of people are familiar with where Devil's Lake is at. Um, I'm just uh, about uh, 45 minutes north of Devil's Lake. And yeah, it's um, kind of, I live out in the middle of nowhere, North Dakota, essentially, but some close towns are uh, Munich. Um, I think uh, we could say Langen's pretty close to that too. So that's where I'm, that's where I'm at. So, and like Bob had mentioned uh, up there, I'm hunting big geese and 
for the most part, our local population is, I'm not going to say they're, I'm not going to say they're giants. Um, we have some of them mixed in, but I'm hunting just the, the large Canada geese where they're probably on average, I don't know, I'd say probably 11, 12 pounds probably. Right. And then when you get some of some of the interior geese moving in, they're a little bit smaller that migrate through. So that, that was my guess. So down here on us, so I'm on the Kansas side, but I'm not far off the state line. So Kansas is mostly interiors. So 10 pounds or under. That's what I call yep. them anyway. Yep. Uh, and then we have those little geese mixed in, and they can be two pounds to six pounds. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, they yeah. vary a lot, especially with part of But when you get on the Missouri side, there's a lot of 10, 12-pound geese on the Missouri side, which I'd assume are your geese. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, because I, I think, um, well, like a lot of my birds uh, that I will hunt, they'll come from, like, eastern Saskatchewan. Um I will have some that will come from uh, Lake Winnipeg and up at Oak Hammock Marsh, up in that area. But uh, yeah, that's majority of my geese are those ones. And then um, usually there's a point in time, like I'd say, like who knows what'll happen this year, but probably the third week in September, anywhere from the third week in September to the first part of October, we'll get a push of little Canada's, okay. and they'll be mixed in with mixed in with snows. And um, it's weird, man, because you can get one day hunting those things and it can be lights out they do it so perfect and then the next day it's like it's a completely different bird it's basically like a snow goose dressed in mini mini canada goose form so yeah so i think there's a huge difference between a 12 pound goose and a 10 pound goose mm -hmm. and then it gets even more different when you get to make the goose smaller but 10 pound yep. is way different hunt or chase than a 12 pound goose is yeah. it is here Absolutely. yeah yeah it seems like that's way up here too and I don't know. It's just a, it's, I, it's one thing I pay attention to when I'm scouting is when I'm listening to the birds in the field, I'm like, I can get a gauge by what they're sounding like, like what type of bird I'm hunting. For the most part, it's, it's all the same, but there are times where I can hear some higher pitch ones mixed in and I'm thinking, all right, well, we're hunting something a little bit different here and we'll uh, maybe adjust our tactics, you know, that way. So, so I'm going to go over a list of questions and uh, this isn't really brand specific or anything. This is more just, uh, we're going to find similarities from all the guys that I, I have on that I would say are killers. So, uh, what's shotgun? What's your favorite shotgun? Um, I was in a Brownie Maxis for, I'd say 10 years, uh, until recently I'm in a Beretta A400 Extreme Plus. Great gun. Um, that's a good, that's a great gun. Yeah, it's been good for me. Uh, I the, the thing I always say that sets it apart is, I mean, any gun that I've had will work good from beginning of season until, let's just say, middle of November. But then where I really, really want it to kick in is when I get late season, when I am get it full of snow and it's cold, I want it to be able to work. And I've had this thing in some shitty weather, and it's been a good performer for me. So A400s are tanks. Yeah, they're what, good guns. Uh, what choke tube are you running it? Uh, just factory mod. Uh, factory I'm a, I'm a mod. Fact, factory I'm a mod factor. guy. Me too. Yeah. yeah I, uh, don't get me wrong. I, I will say people listening. I've, uh, I've went through the process. I went through the, I'm not going to say gimmicks, but I will use that word, the gimmicks of some of the choke tubes where it's like, there are some that perform very well, but for me, factory mod has always done what I needed it to. And it's done the trick. <laughs> right. No, I'm, I'm with you. That, that little SB three that I've shot for the last two, three seasons, it's got the factory choke tube in it. It does yep. as good or better than all the aftermarket tubes I've tried in it. Yeah. Yep. What about uh, favorite shotgun shell? 
Or what do you do? Shotguns. Um, I, I kind of use a variation. I have dabbled in the bismuth thing, the uh, um, copper plated bismuth thing a little bit. And I've, it's been good, but I always come back to steel shot. Um, and <laughs> the last few seasons, I've been shooting two shot the whole season. The whole thing, from ducks, geese, the whole everything. Ducks, ducks and geese and everything. And I mean, you know, granted on the ducks, I got to be a little bit more careful. Like if I have the opportunity where I know I'm exclusively shooting ducks, I'll go to four or five shot or something. But if I'm just year round where I'm just hunting a little bit of everything, it's two shot from August 15th when we ridiculously <laughs> start early to yep. um, till January when I'm done. So that's that's what I was going to ask you. You don't uh, you don't make the uh, shot size bigger as the feathers get tougher. Me, no, me neither. I don't do no. any of that. No, <laughs> no, and it's it's just easier because when you get like order shells and you're sitting there, you don't have to think like, oh, what the hell did I just grab? Everything's the same. You just grab a box, go out, get her done, and uh, yeah, it's I don't have any complaints. What? Uh, how many? What? How many calls do you carry? Uh, I run three year round. So I have yeah one duck one duck one duck yeah what yep. kind yeah one duck call single read. Um, two goose calls and a little tip that I'll let people in on like, and everybody has a different strategy for this, but for geese, um, I'll have a longer, could be wooden call. It could be anything, but it's a longer call with very broken guts. That's my good finishing call, my big goose call. And then I'll have one that I have, a uh, my other short read has a set of just barely broken in guts. And that's for traffic migrators, um, high pitch power calling and, uh, that's that's my setup. That's your, which one do you touch most of the time? I'd say the big one, the the big uh, the big call. Um, something about a good set of broken guts that I I'm a, I'm a I fall for them pretty fast, and it seems like too for responsiveness for calling birds. It's uh, I don't know for the birds I'm hunting. It seems like they're more responsive to it. Do uh, would you say you call aggressively, or what's your style? My style, I am. I'm very big on reading the birds and like, and if I, I pay, pay attention to the wing beats and if I get their attention and I'm being aggressive, getting their attention and they're liking it, I'll keep on doing that until, you know, they get a little bit closer. I might let off a little bit to see what they do. But if uh, a lot of times, if I get their attention with something, I'll stay with that similar um, type of style to get them in. But I would say like generally though, I'm pretty, I'm pretty basic. I'm pretty, I try to be as realistic as I can. So, so I, I'm going to guess by the time I get to the end of this with everybody, everybody that is a killer pretty much gives the same answer on that. And since I do so many calling classes, my answer is always the minimum amount is the right amount. But yep. I would say that's basically what you just said. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So. Yeah, and that's huge. It's, I mean, granted, it's, I mean, the reality is I, I love duck and goose calling. I love the sound of calls. I've always been infatuated with them. But when it comes to hunting, if somebody's hunting with me and, like, they can blow the heck out of a call, like, I'm not, I mean, not to make this sound bad, but, like, I'm not impressed by that. I'm impressed when somebody can get in the blind and read the birds and, like, you can all be on the same page because I've had a, a, I've had good callers wreck hunts and I've had people that can't call make the difference on hunts too you know so it's all about timing and like you said giving the bare amount uh the bare minimum to get the job done that that is always one of my i i, I should say I, I love it when you've got somebody with you and they do not call well 
and they will make a sound and you'll see the bird react to it and you'll look down and go do that more yeah keep yeah. on doing that keep on doing that. me yeah you whatever you did that dog yeah. liked it yeah and it can yeah. be terrible but doesn't matter yeah no but yeah i always get a kick out of that <laughs> yeah it's it's uh like i said it's one thing i pay attention to is if somebody does something and it's like it works keep on doing that and then I will tell you to stop or <laughs> yes. whatnot, you know, but if it's working, yeah. let's do it. What size group do you like to hunt in? Um, like ideally, I, ideally like we're going to go out to kill them. Yeah. Like what, three people, what do you, three, three, three people. Yeah. Right. Um, I do, I do a fair amount of solo hunts up here. I mean, not, I shouldn't say a fair amount. I mean, I would say in a given season, I probably go out with just me and my dog probably five, six times. And it's more or less just to work with him on stuff. But I would say the ideal group size is three. That's my, my favorite. I've hunted up as big as groups of, I've hunted nine people before. That's a lot going on. But, I mean, I'd say three is my perfect size. Why do you like the three? Like, what's better um, about that than nine for you? Um, for me, I think it, it comes down to, like with three people, it's it's easy to talk, like say for hunting in an A-frame, it's easier to talk down the line to three people and get on the same page and like say like, all right, group out here instead of trying to pass a message down all the way down nine people, that's one thing. But um, majority of my hunts are A-frames, so that's one thing. But even if we're hunting in layouts, it's a lot easier to hide that than, you know, uh, nine of us, you know, depending on where you, what you got to work with, you know. See, I think the same thing. I think when you've got those big groups out there, you have days the birds will tolerate it, and then days they won't. I don't know if you're yep. ever really, really hidden on that. I think you're just seeing no. if, they'll, if they'll do it that day. Yeah. yeah, and like, and granted, like a frames. There's times where like I, I, I'm a firm believer too that the more, in some instances, on let's say like a North Dakota fence line, the more a frames you get together, the more natural it looks. But say the same thing is, you got a lot of heads to cover up. I mean. If you're if you have one of the A-frames that's not grassed up properly and the birds fly over that part and see the boogeyman, it just what do you do? You know, I mean that's another downfall of that. But what do you what do you do between A-frame and layouts as far as determining which one to use? I would say I use A-frame wherever I can. Um, like yeah, I I try and get depending on what I got for wind, I'll try and pull it to a fence line with an A-frame and do it that way but the wind has to be right but if i have a, a spot like for example if i'm hunting if i'm hunting migrators or running traffic i'll probably try and run layouts just for the fact that i need to be in a field where i'm out, out probably in the middle where i can really spread decoys around me and a frames it's the conditions got to be right where you can be on a fence line and have the decoys out in front of you but not get them where you're taking shots at 50 yards taking you know get them in at 20 and get them in tight yeah so I like, I like the A-frames on the edges if the field has a point. Yep. To mm -hmm. where they're not coming at the fence line, they're they're crossing you. Yep. Yeah, I do not like to try to drag. A duck does. A duck you can do it with, but geese do not like to drag into a fence line. In my opinion. No, no, they. I've never had them. I've never had them finish in tight. Like, I, I granted, if you have, like, you know, earlier in the season, if I have a pair, they, you know, if they're if I leave a yep. big enough pocket. They can swing in, but it's very rare for birds to come straight into A-frames. It's usually got to be a side shoot, you know. Yep. So, what uh, for everybody that's listening? So you're so you're almost to Canada up there. So yeah, what is I'm... your? Yeah, you're the 
yeah, I've, I've been up there. We've been up there. You're almost to Canada. So yeah. What What are your main crops? Um, the wheat. So our rotations up here: wheat, canola, soybeans, peas, um, and then occasionally like sunflowers. We are getting more corn with the shorter varieties. We are yeah. getting more more corn up here, but um, the up here before things freeze up, the birds are hitting wheat and peas. And then I guess yeah, I guess people have barley. Obviously, that's a big one, but wheat and peas. Wheat and peas. So. Mm-hmm. So your fence lines, are they heavily treed? Are they mildly? Is it grass in between? Grass. Yeah. yeah it's, uh, so I don't remember a lot of trees in between the fields up there. No, and it's it's more or less like, I mean, I'm surprised in some ways that some of those fence lines are still there. I mean, because it's field to field. And I think really the only reason why the fence line is there is it's it's a distinguishable way for them to know where the property line is. Yeah. Otherwise, I don't know why why it would be there, but I'm thankful it's there, you know. That's why I said. But, I don't um, remember those being very heavy cover. No. Yeah. I mean, and the thing here is, like, we, you know, it, it gets a little bit tricky, but, like, fence lines are the go-to. But, like, if we can also tuck an A-frame up against a slough, we'll do that. But you also have to have conditions where if the ground is sloping down towards you, towards the slough, you know, I don't like trying to have a bird land downhill. It doesn't seem like it works yeah, very that, well. <laughs> that is one of my, I I will not have honkers land downhill. I don't, yeah, mm. I don't think they no. like it. I, I think they want to land on the uphill side every time. Yep, or on every the time. Ground. Yeah, but yeah, yeah you're, you're fighting a losing battle trying to get them to run downhill. Yeah, yep. it's rough. So when you're doing that, what is, what's a decoy spread for you? How many? What kind? Full bodies? Um, Skinny, yeah, I'm, what do you do? I'm all full bodies. I'm I'm kind of old school at that. I granted I later in the season I'll use uh, silhouettes to bulk the spread up, but I I'm all full bodies. And then um, since I'm hunting big geese, my spreads are big. They're wide. I'm leaving big openings for these things to land. And that's the thing I've noticed is when I started off when I was younger. I mean, I was putting decoys way too tight together, and like you know you try to think like, oh, what am I doing wrong? And Really, with big yeast, the thing that a lot of people do wrong with decoy spreads, you got decoys way too close together. You got to give those things room to land, and um, it all varies from t- you know time of year. Like this time of year, I mean, I I haven't been hunting yet in North Dakota, but closer to September first, I will, and I'll probably start off with you know five to seven dozen decoy spreads, and then uh, just progressively start bumping it up as uh, as things go on. But if I ever run into a molt migrator day or uh, just uh, uh, a traffic day. I'll put out quite a few decoys for that for those situations. So, so on a on a non-traffic day, mm-hmm. how big? Six dozen, ten dozen. Yeah, I'd say six dozen. Six dozen's good. Get them nice and wide, and I mean, I can make six dozen look big. I, I can spread them out and get them nice and wide, and make it look big. So, so I don't hunt a lot of traffic, like almost none. So we hunt a lot of soft X's instead of traffic, right? Yeah. Um, six dozen is about my max on full bodies. But I try to think of everything as football fields. Yep. And you can, six dozen in a football field is still pretty tight. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, I usually, like in a football field, I'll usually maybe two to three dozen. Because I'm the same yep. way. They need a lot of room. Yeah, you got to give them room. And it's uh, and it comes down to just making... Like that's part of the thing too. When, when you're where you want them to finish, it's I'm not huge on shapes. I'm just make pockets, get them nice and wide, and then 
make adjustments as needed. But um, yeah, just get big, <laughs> get big for big use. The, the next question I was going to ask: if you had a go-to shape with anything? No, I, I think I was when I first started, like when I first got into it. But as time went on, and like watching birds and fields, it was like what I started getting into was, you know, I, I want to. My goal is always to get nice and wide. But like if I have, if I have enough wind at my back or at a certain angle where I can concentrate the birds, I'll tighten things up just a little bit so I can funnel them in. But uh, for the most part, like it's, uh, I mean, no shapes. I would say more or less like, not saying family groups, but I group my decoys up little blobs here and there, but leave it wide open, you know. Right. So, so if you have three dozen out, how wide are you in yards? I'd say from, say, if you're in the blind, you're looking at your decoys to the left and to the right. I could say if they three dozen decoys, I could probably get those 75, 80 yards wide, probably. Yeah, so, what about six dozen? Six dozen, pretty close to that, maybe closer to 90, you know, 90 yeah. yards, maybe even 100 and stuff. But it, uh, um, but like I said, I've had times where, like on <laughs> traffic days, I've had I've had spreads that are 150 yards wide, you know, and then try and get them to come into the calling in the middle of it, you know? Yeah. So when do you throw the silhouettes in? Um, I would say later in the season when like, I'm not going to say like when we're emptying the trailer, but essentially when we're needing, just needing as many decoys for visibility, a lot of times I'll wait till I got snow in the fields where I can really make it pop with that and just get it laid way out with uh, full bodies and silhouettes. I am not a lover of the silhouette. I I like them on ponds because it doesn't seem yep. to affect anything. And you're just painting the bank, right? Yeah. But in a field for honkers, I think a full body is still far. Yep. I'm not saying you can't kill them over the dang things, but <sighs> I've had more well, luck with full bodies. But I've also been using them for 20-some years, so there could be something <laughs> to that, right? Yeah, and I think a big thing's got to do with it, too, is, like, you know, I mean, these days, at least around here, a lot of the young guys that are coming into it are big on the silhouettes. There are a lot of big silhouette spreads, which is which looks looks good from a distance. But I guess one thing is a full-body spread around here can differentiate yourself. Um, and, I mean, I've, been, I've never changed. I mean, I've had the filling in with the silhouettes, but I use full-bodies. I've been using full-bodies my whole hunting career, so... <laughs> See, I'm the, I'm the same way. If if you just said you can have two dozen full bodies or you can have twenty dozen silhouettes, I would take the two dozen full bodies. Yeah, every, every time. Day. Yeah, every day. Every day. So, <laughs> so you get to little geese, but yeah, mm -hmm. on, yeah, anything eight, nine, ten pounds and up, I would take the smaller amount of decoys but full bodies every time. Yep. Do you have any peculiarities when you hunt about it? Anything with the decoys? Uh, yeah, I I would say one thing I like. Um, um, and this might not work for some people, but I found, I found some success with it. But when I'm hunting big geese and I'm getting nice and wide and everything where I want geese to land, I like having a lot of uprights. I like having a lot of upright heads when they land, looking like they just landed. They're looking around. Um, when I was younger, I used to think the opposite. I'm like, I got to put all the feeders where I want them to land right here. Well, no, now, like, as I've gotten older, it's, I like uprights where I want birds to land and it seems like it works pretty well. So I, so, so mine is on a honker spread. I don't, I don't use feeders. I have all active uprights. Okay. Uh, yep. I don't think they can see them. 
I don't think they can see the feeder head to matter. I think no, they can I, see the profile of, I, yeah. So, yeah. yeah, I could care less about anything feeding in a field. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah, I, I think it just looks like a headless body. Yeah, I mean, if there might be times where when they get in the field and actually start feeding, like, when, you know, like they might just see some similarities. But I agree. Like, I, I would say with my decoy spread that I have, I would say I'm probably – 70 to 80 percent uprights and i have yep. probably 20 percent feeders so yeah that's uh this last little new batch i got i, I got all actives and uprights but like i said the only time i have mad is if i fill in with silhouettes yep yeah but like i said i i when i tell a lot of people that it they're like really and i'm like i don't think it does anything so mm. i like the the tallest ones where i want the birds to land as well yep like, yeah i think Albert told me once that they have they have to have their neck stretched all the way out to honk. Now I don't know if yep. that's true, but uh, so I assume the ones makes that sense. Are the tallest are the noisiest. Mm-hmm. Yep. Being the most I... aggressive. Yep. Yeah. So that makes sense. Uh, yeah. And then I like everything to face into the wind. Yep. Always. Yeah. Always. Yeah. And it. Yeah. That's one thing that drives me nuts. If like I have people. I can be an ass about this sometimes, but if I have people help me set decoys, like I always say like, yep, make sure you face them into the wind. And then we get done and there's some that aren't facing the wind. I will do the, I will stomp out there and get them facing into the wind. And it's, uh, it just gotta be, it gotta have a certain look to it. <laughs> I know. I don't know if that matters. That's another thing I picked up from all back down there chasing geese with him. Everything's gotta be into the wind. And I think it makes a difference. And I, I think that, you know, the windier it is, the more crucial it is yes. that, you know, cause like when I've had days when the wind is howling and those things are all lined up like behind each other drafting and they're looking into the wind and just, you know, survival mode. But like even on days where there's just a very light and variable wind in some way, they're all facing the same way most of the time, you know, most of the time. What's, what's your favorite wind? What mile per hour? Northwest. Northwest, Northwest at uh, eight to nine. Probably that's nine. my favorite. Yeah, I'm a 20 mile an hour guy. Yeah, I've had some good I've had some good days there too. And and the only thing I'll say is like if I if I'm hunting by myself, I love getting them. You know, the like 20 mile an hour winds. But if I'm with the, my three guys, it's just kind of nice when you have a little bit lighter wind when you start shooting. They don't get yep. out of range too fast. But those those 20 mile an hour wind days, more they, they can be they can be mean I, too. So I love it because they start so much lower. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. They usually yeah. scrape in bellies. <laughs> yeah. So, mm-hmm. do you guys hunt water for geese up there very much? Um, I'll hunt loafs. Um, I'll hunt loafs probably. I don't know. It actually happens usually on the same time every year. It's like the second week in September. It seems like they've been hunted a little bit. They kind of get wising up, and they they, they kind of can't make up their mind on what they want to do in fields, but they do start getting a good pattern on loafs. So we'll go set up and, and hunt midday loafs. And, you know, we don't really, you know, we don't set them on fire by any means, but something different. And it, it's at least something where you can get some consistency out of it, you know, so. And that, are your loafs loafs and roost or are they straight loafs? Um, up here, our loafs are straight loafs. They'll okay. have their, they'll have the morning and typically their morning and evening roost is the same spot, but then their loafs are going to be somewhere in between or I even, like say if the roost is here, field is here. Sometimes their loaf might be on the other side um, of the of the field, and I mean it, it varies. But 
most times, I would say 90% of the time up here, our lopes are different than our roosts. Okay. See, we don't get a lot of true lopes where I'm at. You'll have a big roost, but pretty much if they're loafing on it heavy, some are going to sleep there overnight. Yep. Not many. You know, if it's got two, three, four hundred geese on, you might have 50 that stay overnight. So it's okay. not, I don't technically consider that a true loaf. Yeah. yeah it's, it's a, yeah, you're not, it doesn't hurt anything because you're not really messing with the main gob of them. But it's rare yeah. that we get 100% true loaf. So when you hunt, are they the cattail sloughs when they do that? Um, or so, are they the bigger ones? Is that what? I didn't see any geese out and about when I was up there. Uh, like, well, this year might be interesting because we're extremely dry. Um, okay. So the lopes will be, um, the lopes will typically be like little, um, little sloughs out in the middle of the fields. Like, well, they'll, they'll lope in there. But like typically our best loaf hunts are on the wet years where you have sheet water in the field and okay. they'll come back and loaf on those spots. But we have a, a couple of spots where it's old, uh, old abandoned pastures mm -hmm. and the grass is, the grass has been eaten so much for years that it just never really grows back thick. And those are always good loafing spots. Oh okay, yeah. I can see that. Cause I wouldn't think they would like those little cattail sloughs very much. No, Even the no, they like the loaf. In my opinion, the loafs, they like to be where they can see what's going on. And like, yeah. I mean, they, they're very observant, but like it's, they, they definitely like to look around and see what's, I don't know, just keep an eye on things for the most part. Oh no, that's our, our best cattle ponds. They will be the ones that are dead in the middle of the pasture and <laughs> looks like there should be no life on it. That's, that's, yeah. yeah. Because especially if it's got just a little rolly dam where they can get up and look around. Yeah. Yep. That's a loaf. Yeah. hundred percent. But if it's got big cut banks on it, yeah, maybe, but yeah, if they can't see out of it, they don't, they don't like it very much. Yeah. Yeah. So when you guys hunt the water out there, what are you putting out for that? So when you're in the fields, are you putting full bodies out? Yeah. So it, what I, yep. So I'll, I mean, I'll put a, just for, I mean, a lot of times in these lopes, I'll put out a, a you know, maybe a half dozen feeder or uh, floaters. Right. Uh, and then after that, what I like doing is I do like getting decoys out in the field, kind of like they're, they're walking out of the, the loaf out in the field, kind of just moseying around. But I really like having, the upright sentries standing in the edge of the water, you know, where it looks right. like their feet are in the water. Just, you know, make it look as realistic as possible. But that's usually how I try and go with it. What's the height on those like? <laughs> they can be tough. It um, doesn't sound like there's a lot of cover on that. No, there isn't. So, like, typically, if we can get lucky and it's a, you know, if it's, it's a, you know, like I said, a pasture one where we have green grass, if we can get a layout hide or, I've even used green ghillie blankets and cover up good with them. It works, but typically like the best case scenario is if we have a loaf that's got on one side of it's got some shade trees, we can tuck up an A-frame up next to those trees. And then as long as the wind is right, we can make it work pretty good. All right. So we're going to get into scouting now. So what do you look for when you're scouting? Well, I will say with scouting, the most important thing is you have to, you have to do it a lot day, you know, consecutively, consecutive days, because I mean, granted there are birds that get in a pretty good pattern and you can, you know, and if you live around a certain area for a long time, you know, when they're going to go, you know, uh, the certain directions and areas that they like going, but like scouting, the things I look for is I, I try and identify the patterns as fast as I can. 
And you always got to remind yourself that those are going to change. Those can change at any time. You might have a pattern on them and also one day, you know, I get off the roost and go the other direction. But I think I'm a firm believer that you can scout in the morning and evening. That's important because especially up here, um, first part of the season, birds will have uh, morning feeds and they'll have evening feeds. So there'll be two separate locations and you might scout them in the evening and say, yep, we're going to come back here in the morning. And all of a sudden in the morning, you're like, all right, where are they at? Well, they went the other way, <laughs> you know, so it can get tricky that way. But I think it's scouting. The thing I'm looking for is just what they're doing in the morning. If I'm going to hunt morning or if I'm going to hunt in the evening, what they're doing and then just uh, base it off of that. Do, uh, do you run around even when you're not hunting? Mm-hmm. Yep. That's yeah. Right. Even if I don't hunt a day, I scout every day. Well, and I, I think, and I'm, I'm one of those people that, and I think a lot of people are like this, but I mean, there's probably a few that don't agree with me on this, but I actually like scouting more than hunting myself. I mean, I love hunting, but I love the scout just as much because I, I love as I'm driving and watching them in the fields or if it's on a loaf or something, when I'm making that game plan in my head, to me, that's the most enjoyable part of the hunt is that. But. I love finding birds. Mm-hmm. Even if I don't shoot those birds, I love finding birds and I love knowing where they're at. So if I have to go, so when I go out of town to hunt, that's usually about the only time that I don't get to scout, right? Because I, no matter what I do, I go out in the morning, I go out in the afternoon at the, yep. at the house. And if I've gone for two, three, four days, when I come back, I feel like I don't know anything. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. Mean, and I know, I know that, I know, I know that feeling too well because like I help on the farm a little bit and there's times where like, I mean, reality is there's a lot of times I don't get a chance to scout in the evenings. You know, I can go sneak out time in the morning, you know, like right away. And, um, it's, it's tough, but like, you know, granted there's me days you can't make it out, but the biggest thing is just like, I can tell anybody that's listening is just get your patterns and like, just, just keep your, keep your expectations low. Like you can get a lot of confidence in what you're doing, but like at the end of the day, it's a bird with a pea sized brain. They can do anything they want. It's just fun to, fun to, figure them out <laughs> you know yeah. oh no like i said scouting is i yeah i love to go i get sad when the birds leave in the spring yeah yep me too you see them you see them every day and then yeah. they're gone yeah i miss seeing <laughs> yeah because like i said i look at them every day but i'm not hunting if season's closed i go look at them until they're gone yep yeah i just want to know what they're doing but, yep so, i them know how many of yours winter up well or nest up there? You've got to have a pile of them up there that that hang out all um, year and make babies. Well, I would say we get a decent nesting population here most years. This year hasn't been I'll be honest, this year hasn't been very good, but I think just north of me in Manitoba it's been very good. You know? Are you are um, you drier than when I was up there? Very yeah, we are Oh wow. We are as I think this is the driest we've been now, granted, I've I've only been around since 1990, but like the stories I've heard of the the late 80s up here, the droughts, yeah. we are we are to that level where I haven't mowed my grass in a month and a half. Oh, and yeah. I usually and I usually do it twice a week. I haven't mowed right. my lawn in a month and a half. It's freaking brown up here. It's brown. Do yeah. How or did uh, I didn't see a lot of cattle when I was up there. Do you guys have much cattle up that way? Um, I didn't think so. No, not really. I mean, there's a few guys mixed in that have them, but, um, you know, for the most part, I would say compared to other parts of North Dakota, we are pretty low with the livestock numbers. Yeah, that's what I said. I didn't think I've seen a lot of that when I was up there. Did uh, no. did you make it out to Game Fair? 
I didn't. I was going to go the second weekend and then it just didn't quite work out with my schedule, but I'm going to, I'm going to go next year for sure. Cause it's, it sounds like it's, it's numbers are picking back up, but it's more or less just to like go around and get caught up with all the, all my industry buddies, you know, and see yeah. what everybody's up to. And I think that's a part of it. I enjoy the most is going to catch up with everybody, you know? So, yeah, I had, I got, I talked to Marlo and he said they killed it. And then I talked to a couple other guys and they said it was pretty slow this year. Yeah, and I think it, it seems like every year, if you can make the most of it when the weather is good and, and fine, you're going to do all right. But, like, every year it seems like um, Game Fair always gets, like, out of the six days, it seems like three to four of those days are always pouring rain. They're it's always thunderstorms. Yeah. yeah, always. I, I, I don't even know what it is. I probably did that show for 10 years, and I bet it rains 70% of the time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Seems that way. Yeah. Yep. But he's always told me that's why they do it two weekends. Yep. So Which, they... and it's it's good, but I think that for some people, I think there's probably some people that are in a little bit of a tough spot because, and you, and this might be the same the situation for you, but it's, uh, you know, if you were to come up there, you're up there for three days, and then it's like, okay, well, it's a week until we're back at this. Well, like, what are we, what are you going to do? Are you going to go home and then come back? And that's what it's expensive I to do that too. On yeah. Sunday night, we pack up, drive home, and then I'd drive back yeah. up on Thursday. Yeah. Yeah. I, w- I wish he had the show open through the week. Yeah. And I would. That would yeah. be nice. Yeah. Even if it was noon to five or noon to six. That way you could at least See, it, work for the week that you're up there. I always thought that they, you know, they'll ne- never do this. But if it's, you know, if it's six days that they do this, I always thought that they just went from, you know, let's just say Sunday to Sunday or Saturday to Saturday, like, do it a consecutive week. That'd be way better than two weekends, but that'll probably never happen. <laughs> I heard that there was some, I don't know if it was a vendor group or a customer group that had a big petition going around. Everybody to sign to get him to do it just consecutive days this year. Oh, that yeah, would, I don't know what happened, but that, yeah, but it'd be so, interesting. Yeah. So when do you open up up there? So we actually, <laughs> I know you're not, early. When does regular news open up? Yeah. Um, I would say like, I mean, I mean, I'll start, I'll start hunting, even though it's technically still be considered early season. I'll start up around September 1st. Like I'll probably start up here in a week and a half or so, or we can just kind of see what I got. But, um, yeah, there's people hunting right now, August 15th. And that's when things started. And man, it's, uh, I don't want to be swat mosquitoes and you go shoot birds. You gotta, you gotta clean them. Like, right away like you got to clean them as soon as possible because it doesn't take long for that stuff to go bad when it's 90 degrees you know full of flies <laughs> i i have never shot geese in august that's something i've never done they have got to be covered in fleas and everything else yeah fleas pin feathers they look yeah. scraggly i mean it's 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 i don't know i mean it's it scratches the itch a little bit you know like the but it, but at the same time for me it's the older i get the more I'm just dead set on September 1st and then wait for a nice cold front. And there's been some years where we get nice high bunches moving, just early bunches moving the first part of September. And I'm completely content starting my season then, you know, do, uh, can they honk all the way in August? The new ones? No. <laughs> I wouldn't think no. so. They've got to do it. It's like, it's, it's hilarious. Yeah. It can't. Yeah. Yeah. They can't break that. It's bit, yet, can they? It's it, yeah, it's a buzz, and then the ones that are they're starting to get it down, it's uh, it's like a 
bad car horn. I mean, it's okay. It's it, it's it's interesting and it's funny. You'll hear the you hear the mature ones and then you'll hear the little pip squeaks and it's like <laughs> uh, maybe they got eggshells stuck in their throat or something. I don't know, but right. like, they're. They're a little young yet. <laughs> okay. Yeah. See, I don't know. I'm never around geese that time of year. Yeah. I have yeah, zero it's... experience. I quit teal hunting a long time ago. I don't do early teal anymore. Well, like teal, I mean, it's the, it, you know, I mean, I get, I've gotten to do it a little bit up here, but like it's, it's fast and furious for, you know, 10, 15 minutes. And then it seems like it's done, but it's, uh, man, I just, the older I get too, it's, you know, especially now, like I, I love taking my dog out and if it's hot out, I don't want to get overworking him too much and i don't know i just i'm completely patient because i'll go from september and i'll hunt all the way till first part of january so it's uh it's a good lengthy season the way it is and we'll i'll probably just keep it that way (laughs) do uh do you get into a lot of ducks up there yeah we get into i mean i that's the thing is if i were to like i'm I, i love my goose hunting but if i went to just strictly chase ducks i mean i think we could do pretty well on them um because, I mean, especially you get closer to Devil's Lake, it's the duck factory. You know, it's right. people think of prairie potholes. That's what I think of. And it's the best thing about that area is it's there's a lot of ducks. But the cool thing is when things are rocking and rolling and they're starting to get a little bit of their plumage, you get a nice variety of species, too, which is fun. I should have said, do you chase many ducks up there? Yeah, yeah I, I do. Like if I have, a, I mean, if I'm out scouting and. You know, let's just say I got a field with, uh, you know, 150 or 200 geese, but then I come up a, a mile later and I there's a, you know, let's just say 300 mallards swarming like these. Like, eventually I get sick of shooting. I mean, hate to say it, <laughs> but I get sick of shooting big geese. Where I'm like, I got to switch it up just so I can do something different, and then I'll go after ducks. Right. And it's fun. I couldn't turn the ducks down. Yeah, I and I, I and that's the thing. As I get as I've gotten older too, it's there's times where I'm just like, I mean, I'm not, when I was younger, I was mad at him. I was, you know, out going through that whole phase of my life where I was out there just trying to get as many as I could. And then now it's just like I'm more of a quality guy where if it's like, if I can go out and make them decoy good, finish good and get a, I mean, I don't even care if I pull the trigger, but it's, if I can just get them to finish good and have a little fun with it that way, then I'm, I'm content. You coming down this year? Yep. I think so. I think I have to. to yeah, Kyle's talked to me about it, and it's like, I just, I need to experience that because I mean, I've, I'm, I am fortunate up here for what, what we, what we have here in North Dakota. But, um, and I've been to different areas. I mean, I've been to, I mean, I've been to Wisconsin, Iowa, Minnesota. Like I've been to the Midwest, but I haven't been down there. And based off of all the stories, like Kyle's really good about telling stories about hunts, and <laughs> like me getting a picture in my head of what it looks like. It's like I got to get down there and experience that. It's it's very similar to what you do without the cattails. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, our geese are a little different up here because they're they're wintering, right? Yeah. So traffic is eh. now if you go west, if you traffic the little geese, you can do that all day. But tra- big geese out here don't traffic well. I can about imagine because they they've seen a lot of stuff by the time they get down to you. Well, they so. they just they get used to they're here and they're here. So yeah. they they just know where they're going every day. Yeah, yeah they're not they're stubborn. They're not, yeah, they're not really. You can do it a little bit on fronts, but once they've been here a little while, they just don't care. Yeah, yeah. what they're yeah. So and 
Like, what's a big honker feed up there for you guys? Oh, uh, like late season. I mean, like you know, before Devil's Lake locks up. I mean, you can get you can get a thousand. 1200 big geese in a feed that's a nice one you know that's a good that's a good feed um there when the mallards swarm up we get some big mallard feeds and that that's when it's yeah, i mean I it's imagine. impossible to turn that down i mean it's right it's it's so fun to scout them too because you'll be you know when it's prime time feeding time you'll just look around and all you can see is just a, a black cloud in the distance and it's like well let's go check that out and so you get say, there and it's like sorry uh, no, you're good. Really big honker feed here is maybe 500 when you get late in the season. It's a lot of hundreds and two hundreds. Yeah, yep. yeah, because they'll 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 pick three or four different fields, right? Yep. If that one roost gets up, most of the time they're not all going to one feed. No, they're going to yeah. divide and conquer. Yeah. Um, especially, uh, they'll get real heavy. You get ice up, and then when it gets when it ices out, they start spreading out. They don't necessarily want by each other. So it's a yeah. lot of hundreds, two hundreds, yeah. But yeah. all right, my man. Well, thank you for coming on. Yeah, I I really I really enjoyed this. I love your I love what you're doing with the podcast, and I think uh, you know a big emphasis. I think it's important about this is like getting people on to hear about all the consistencies, but it's you know so people can maybe learn something from people that I don't know. I guess have been doing it for a little while, and, and no offense to any of the there's any people that are doing YouTube videos and YouTube hunters out there, but a lot of, there's a lot of, there's a lot of good people on YouTube, but there's also a lot of bad stuff going on with YouTube and social media with hunting. So it's good to, good to get some honest perspective this way. And I think this is good. So. Well, that's kind of the, the idea behind this for, especially with a lot of the industry guys, they don't necessarily get on social very much. No. Uh, especially those of us that have hit 40 yeah <laughs> so yeah i was just talking about that the other day too like i one thing i and i think about this a lot lately but i would love to go back to the days pre-social media where i mean i would give anything to go back to that and i know that it's not going to happen but it's things were so much different and it's uh i mean i still love hunting as much as i did then but like back then i was i mean it you look back in those days those are the golden days when you didn't have cell phones everybody had their phones put away you're just out enjoying shooting the shit out in the blind and like like it's nothing to do with social media and getting likes it's just about like getting out and enjoying it you know i think a lot of it has run its course or it seems to be yeah yeah so i think it'll get back to more organic than it has been that would be awesome if it did. <laughs> I hope it does. Yeah. And I, I, I do agree. I'm seeing I'm seeing a trend develop too where it's heading that direction, but I, I hope that it does because some of these younger kids that are coming up, if they can experience that, I think that they they would stick with that too. It's a lot more enjoyable, a lot less drama. So <laughs> that's no joke. That is why I'm not on a single page, a group, or anything. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You're, you're seen, doing the right thing, Bob. I've never seen anything good come out of those. No, but never. I got this. I got this older guy I talked to, and uh, he's a call collector, right? And he's supposed to come on the podcast with me uh, last week or the week before. Uh, we couldn't figure out how to get him on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's got a home computer, but it has no camera, no mic, right? 
So yeah. I think he's he might come out to the shop in October and do a podcast with me. See, but, that'd uh, be a perfect fit for him. Yes, I think this we we tried three times. So <laughs> three, three, yeah. So I was like, just come out in October when I have the show. We'll podcast live, and uh, <laughs> and so I I talked to him a lot though. He's been geez, he's been buying calls for me for probably fifteen years or better, right? That's and, awesome. Uh, yeah. And so I asked him, I'm like, you know, what, what do you use social for? I collect stuff and I like to get on the groups, but he'll never post. He'll never respond. He'll never like very Occasionally he will post, he will comment on something I have posted, but on a group or any of that, nothing. And I think there's a lot of those guys. I think there's more of those guys than the nonsense that you see. Oh, I absolutely. I would definitely agree with you on that for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's... Yeah. Like, I think there's a lot more spectators that look at it and go, well, I can't, I can't respond to this because I'm not arguing about this. Yeah. And I don't even like some people would say, I can't respond because I, I don't know where the space bar is. Like they just <laughs> say that I'm just good. Yeah. I'm going to just read this and yeah, I'm good. So, yeah. But so I don't know. I think it's, I think it's maybe starting to be. And there's a few of us that are kind of going, hey, you might think about it this way. Because yep. I see that a lot now, which is good. It just takes a little nudge, right? Yeah, it's all it takes. Yeah, just so. a little nudge or the little idea in their head to go, eh, maybe that's not a good idea. Yep. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. So. All right, folks. Well, thank you, sir. And yeah, thanks, Bob. I, I appreciate it. In, uh, maybe I'll see you in Kansas this year. Yep. You know, you'll see me there, and then anytime you get up here, you come hop in the blind anytime. So. I'll be up there in November, but I'm not sure I'll have time to do anything. Maybe. Okay. I don't well, know yet. Yeah. We'll be in touch. All right, buddy. All right, man. So, all, all right. right take take care, out. Bob. All right. Thank you.